All right. <laughs> well, you guys made it in the snow and uh, the weather and sketchy roads and sickness everywhere and everything. You guys are here. Well done. And uh, glad, glad to have all of you on the live stream as well. Um, obviously, this is, uh, this is a new year, 2022. Here we go. Uh, we, we live in a culture that doesn't have a lot of uh, milestones, a lot of rites of passage, a lot of rituals, right? But, but the turning of the calendar, that, that's a big one. That is, across the board, kind of an opportunity for people to, uh, to reassess, to reorient, to reevaluate their lives, and maybe to take stock of where they wish they had done things a little bit differently in the previous year. One saying that I've heard about New Year's is, uh, is that I love it when they drop the ball at Times Square because it reminds me what I've been doing all year long. Let's, I'll let that sink in for a little bit, guys. Dropping the ball. You got it? Yeah. Uh, and of course, the practice that brings a lot of this together is the making of New Year's resolutions. Uh, I don't know how many people do this formally who actually, you know, sit down and write it out, but uh, I think a lot of us have it on our minds that this is a, a great chance to, to put down old habits and, and take up new ones. Although another phrase that I've heard is, is that I was going to quit all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remembered that nobody likes a quitter. So I changed my mind. Anyways, there you go. Uh, these, these resolutions are famously easy to break, famously difficult to keep up. Despite that, I want to spend some time here at the beginning of a new year as a church uh, to kind of talk about some commitments, some practices that I think uh, are good for us as, as a church. I want to suggest a new year's resolution for us as a church. And it comes from Romans 12 verses 1 to 2. Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, Paul starts out by saying, therefore, and you always want to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? Uh, Romans 1 to 11 is all about God, or all about, yeah, God's, God's deliverance through Jesus. Paul, Paul explains the gospel, the good news of salvation in a compelling, powerful, and soul-searing way. And then in Romans 12, he says, on the basis of that, because of that, this is how you are to live. This is a life that is consistent with the gospel. And he goes to two main exhortations here, two, many, two main ways that this works out. The first is he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this is not just about your literal physical body, although it can include that. And if you want to take this as your impetus to get into CrossFit, you can do that if you want. But this is a metaphorical way of speaking about the whole person, that, that your whole self you are offering to God as a sacrifice because he gave his life for you. He sacrificed his life for you. And so now you are offering yourself everything you are, everything you do to him in response as a living sacrifice. 
Paul says the second thing, and this is the one that I, I really want to focus on, and it's, it's kind of an outworking of that, that if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, if this is how you, you worship the Lord, not just with words, not just with showing up to church, but with, with offering your life to him as your servant, then that means you're not going to conform to the patterns of this world. Because you see, the world has a pattern. It's got a mold. It has a form of speaking and living and thinking. And it varies from culture to culture and place to place. But everywhere you go, there is a pattern. There's, there's a form. And there is considerable pressure to follow along with that, to fit into it, and significant consequences if you don't. And everybody, I think most people, they, they want to fit in, right? It's, it's uncomfortable not to. I mean, I, uh, most of my life, I haven't fit in. When I was in Bible college on the prairies, I went, you know, I was, I was among people who all uh, played hockey and listened to country music. And I, I played basketball and listened to rap music. That's a little bit superficial, but, uh, but I, I just felt I was, I was different. I should be in California, not in Steinbach, Manitoba. You know, that's kind of how I felt. Uh, when I was in high school, I definitely didn't fit in for a number of reasons. One was because of how I dressed. Is that, has that picture been up for a while? Isn't that hair just glorious? Like, what was I doing that day? And I wear these, I'd wear these outsized, outdated t-shirts. This was a t-shirt of choice for me. I don't care about the Ottawa Senators. I was living in Calgary. I don't even really like hockey that much. But that was the shirt. I, we don't want to see that anymore. That was the shirt that I was wearing all the time. And so I, just, I had zero sense of what was cool. So I didn't fit in in that way. And then I was also one of the only Christians that I knew in my high school. And so I had, I had certain convictions that, that didn't fit in. And, and so I, I wasn't, you know, I, yeah, anyways, I, it just, it was uncomfortable sometimes. You, you maybe know what that's like to not fit in. But this is the calling. To some extent, in some ways, as a Christian, it's always, this has always been the case. I mean, in the Old Testament even, for Israel, a lot of those commands that you read in the Old Testament are all about making sure that Israel looks different, that they are set apart, that they don't look like the nations around them, so that when those nations see the way that Israel lives, that they see what God is like. And it's the same thing in the New Testament among followers of Jesus, that you are set apart, you are to look different. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, for example, he asks, what fellowship can light have with darkness? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? And he quotes the Old Testament. He says, come out from them and be separate. Now, this doesn't mean that you can't spend any time with anybody outside the church, not at all. It doesn't mean that you have to be like deliberately uncool and wear outdated, ill-fitting clothing. It doesn't mean that you have to be different in every single way just for the sake of being a contrarian. Like if everybody else thinks that Toyotas are the best, you're gonna go out and buy a Ford. That's a bad move, my friends, in so many ways. It's just a bad move. You don't need to be different just for the sake of being different. You are called to be set apart in, in some ways, though. You're called to be different. And, and actually, you're going to want to be different. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says that this world in its present form is passing away. That the ways and the patterns of this world might look, might seem overwhelming, 
They might seem inevitable, but Paul says it's, it's, they're passing away. This world is going to be judged by God. If you sign up to conform to the ways of the world, you are signing up for a system that is very soon going to be done away with. Uh, Paul in Galatians says that Jesus actually came to rescue us from this present evil age, that there are ways of living and thinking in this world that lead to death. And Jesus came to save us from this. He came to save us from the patterns of this evil age. It's like that old question that parents always ask their kids if everybody's jumping off a cliff. Are you gonna jump off too? You might be like, well, if there's a foam pit, yeah, maybe, but there's not. There's jagged rocks in many cases is, is what the world leads to. So Paul says in, in Romans 12, essentially there are, two, there are two paths, two orientations in life. There is conformity to the ways of the world or there is transformation by the renewing of your mind. And that's actually just another kind of conformity. Paul says in, in Romans 8, he talks about how we have been called to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So it's either conformity to the world, which leads to death, which is passing away, or it's conformity to Jesus, to the image of Jesus. Are we going to be like the world or are we going to be like Jesus? Are our minds going to go along with whatever is the default or will we choose what is different, what is set apart, and follow Jesus? So here's the New Year's resolution I want to suggest for our church here as we begin 2022. The New Year's resolution is be weird. At least in the eyes of the world. Be weird. Be willing to look different, speak different, think differently. And what I want to do today and the remainder of this time is to track three or four specific ways I think that this works out. Ways at the moment that I believe we as Christians are called to be different. And some of this is going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. I, I may press on some... Uh, some issues that feel close to home. And uh, I, I've, I don't do this because, and, and you know this about me, I don't love to stir up things, but I, I do believe I, I need to name these things. And, and my prayer, my hope is that you will hear the Lord in this, that if this is from him and these are his words, that you will hear him, not me. Because if, if this is just me, if these are just my words, then you can discard them, you can ignore them. But if this is from him, then my prayer is that you would be open to hearing what he might have to say to you today. So let's pray about that and, uh, and then go on. Jesus, I want to ask that in this time now, a Holy Spirit, that you would be working and moving. That as we have read your word and we continue to reflect on what this means, Lord, we want to surrender our hearts to you and ask that you would speak to us. And not, 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 Lord, that this would be my wisdom or my words, but that you would speak to us, that you would make your will known to us. We want to know, as Romans 12 says, we want to know what your will is. We want to know how to please you. Lord, we don't want to conform to the world. We want to, we want to be transformed. And so I pray today, Lord, that you would give us wisdom, give us clarity, give us soft hearts, give us humble spirits, Lord, that we would be able to receive what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, first way, 
that I believe God is calling us to be a little bit weird in the eyes of the world is the way that we spend our time, our priorities. Some of us staff, we are, uh, a lot of us staff, we're, we're, uh, we're immigrants to North Vancouver. We, we didn't grow up here. I, I, for example, grew up on the prairies. Uh, Nate grew up in, in Aldergrove, which is close by, but worlds apart culturally. Uh, Rodrigo and Tati grew up in Brazil and so on. And, and what a lot of us have noticed, noticed is, um, is that here in, in North Vancouver, especially among families that have kids at home, I know that's not everybody, but those families who have kids at home, that life is really, really busy. And this is for a number of reasons. You have a lot of homes where you've got both parents working full time because that's what you've got to do to be able to, to live here on the North Shore. Totally get that. You have all these recreational opportunities as well. So if as soon as there's a nice day, you're up on the mountain, right? You've got to make the most of it. And then I think that there is, there is a, a trend. There is a culture here of putting your kids into a lot of different a lot of different programs, maybe especially sports. And, and what I've noticed, you know, I grew up on the prairies and I played a lot of sports. But what's different here is that it's like, it's a huge commitment. It's like, it's like almost a daily commitment, including Sundays. And there's this pressure to put your kids in. And, and even as Christians, oftentimes you have Christian families who are, who are choosing games instead of corporate worship. You're, you've, got, you've got families who are putting their kids in a lot of programs that develop extracurricular skills, but don't, don't have their kids in ministries at church that actually help their kids follow Jesus. There's a, there's, there's a, there's a form, there's a mold here on the North Shore in terms of priorities. And those priorities are education and recreation and, and a certain standard of living. And when you, when you fit into that mold, then other things like discipleship, like, like mission, like worship, end up falling lower down the list. Now, I, I want to just stick with this whole kids thing just a little bit longer because let's think about what, how this plays out, what this results in. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Now, this is not meant to be something that says, this is true in every single circumstance. Like, there has never, ever been a kid who has ever departed from the way that their parents have set them on. That's not the point. It's a generalization, and it's generally true that the way you kind of direct your kids from the start will have a huge impact on where they end up. And if for you and your family, if following Jesus is priority number one, if your faith and, and the faith community, the church is a priority, chances are for your kids when they grow up, it will be as well. Not in, not in every circumstance, but in most. And here's a statistic to back that up. There was a, this is an American uh, survey that they, that they looked at over, I think it was a 10 year period. So they looked at teenagers who grew up in families where their parents attached basically no importance to religious faith. And the percentage of those teens who a decade later, now in their mid to late 20s, were highly religious was 1%. 1% of kids who grew up in families where religion wasn't emphasized uh, went on to be highly religious a decade later. Now they looked at families, and you already see the statistics, so it's all ruined. But if, 
if you look at families where this was a big deal and, and where parents were active in church and where they talked about faith at home and they made this a priority, the percentage of those teens who were highly religious a decade later was 82%. 82% versus 1% in 1%. The lead researcher of the study said, in the end, parents just dominate. That the direction you set from an early point, and, and even later on, has a huge impact on where your kids end up in terms of following Jesus. Now, there's, there's, um, there's an application here for all of us. I know I've been really emphasizing families here. But the point here is, is what, Matthew, what jo, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these other things will be added to you as well. Seek first the kingdom. This is priority number one, is knowing Jesus more and making him known. And Jesus says, look, if, you, if that's the number one thing, then all of these other things that you worry about, that our culture places so much emphasis on, all of those things will be taken care of, but seek the kingdom. And so be a little bit weird this year. In a culture that prioritizes all kinds of other things, make your priority the kingdom of God. And if you have, if you have families, if you have fam a family with kids, then, then make that central. Make sure there's no confusion. There's no doubt about it that this is priority number one. You want to set them off in this track. Let, this, let your time, how you spend your time, reflect that. May your time be spent in, in prayer, in, in service to others, in, in, in growing together. Be a little bit weird this year. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Here's a second way. I think. Are you with me so far? Good? Okay. Se the second way I think that God is calling us to be different, to be set apart. <sighs> one more? One more? No. Just it stops there. One more way <laughs> which he's calling us to be different is, is what we talk about with others. And, and I think also how we talk about this with others. And, and there's an interesting mold here as well when it comes to our, to our culture, to our world. In, in a lot of other places, in a lot of other cultures, uh, things about God, uh, your, your faith, that's pretty out front. It's, it's public. It's, it's out there for people to know and to talk about. A lot of other times in, in church history, I'm a bit of a student of church history, and, and most other times and cultures in church history, uh, theological debates, for example, weren't just happening in the ivory tower among academics. It wasn't just pastors. It was in the streets. It was in the pubs. It was, it was among the people. And sometimes that didn't result in good things. You know, it resulted in riots and persecution and violence. Uh, that's, that's, you know, why it's important how we talk about things. But what they talked about, they talked about God. They talked about what they believed. That's a little bit different where we live, isn't it? I think the general rule of thumb in, let's say, Canadian culture, including West Coast, is that you can believe what you want to believe, but keep it to yourself. There's no place for faith, maybe especially Christian faith, in the public square. And there are a few reasons for that. There are a bunch of factors. I mean, you've got historical factors, the legacy of residential schools where you see what happens when Christian faith and political power get married together. It's not good. We've got to stay away from that. I think there's some of that. I think you've just got the reality of multiculturalism in Canada. You've got a cultural value in Canada on politeness and peaceableness, 
uh, we're not like our, our southern neighbors who aren't afraid of offending people and rubbing people the wrong way. You know, we're polite. We say sorry all the time. And so talking about faith, talking about religion, that is seen as an inappropriate topic of conversation. And here as well, there are lots of Christians who have, I think, felt the pressure to fit into that mold. Here's some American statistics again. Um, I, I think actually with the cultural differences, I think this would be even more pronounced in Canada than it is in the States. But they, they asked in 1993, and, and uh, I think it was about 90% of Christians said that it was important for them to share their faith. 90% said, yeah, that's something that I, whether they do it or not, that's something we're supposed to do. 2018, one generation later, uh, only 60, I think it was 64% of Christians said that it was their responsibility to share their faith. And I think this was practicing Christians as well. One third said that, no, it's, it's not my responsibility. It's not my calling to share my faith with others. Almost half, in a, in a survey they did a couple years ago, almost half of practicing millennial Christians. So these, these are uh, Christians my generation who uh, go to church regularly and, and who place a great importance on faith, almost half said it is wrong to share your faith with others with the hope that they will also share your Christian faith someday. That's like the definition of evangelism and half of practicing Christians in my generation believe it's morally wrong. About half of Christians overall across the spectrum said that they had had uh, less than three conversations in the past year about God with non-believers. We're not talking about converting somebody. We're not talking about these are how many disciples you've made. We're talking about how many times have you simply brought up your Christian faith with a non-believer. I think, was it, was it actually over half of Christians have said they haven't done that more than two times this past year. And in all of these surveys, they found that, that Christians are simply more fearful of rejection from non-believer uh, friends than they have been in generations past. So be a little bit weird. <laughs> have these conversations. Talk about these things. This is what Paul says in Colossians 4. He says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now this is as well about how you talk about these things, right? Let your conversation be seasoned with salt. Some of you know that, that, that salty is like a slang now that means you're like trash talking somebody. Like, ooh, that was so salty. That's not what this is about. This is about speech that is compelling, that is, that is winsome. It's speech that is full of grace and wisdom. But nevertheless, it's also about what you talk about. Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. And the context in Colossians is that Paul is saying, pray for me, that I will be bold, that I will know how to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And then he says, you too, make the most of every opportunity. Now, that doesn't mean that every single conversation has to somehow become evangelistic. Like somebody goes, wow, it's really rainy today. And you go, yeah, it reminds me of how Jesus washed away my sins by his blood. Like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be that. But Paul says earlier in Colossians, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Like everything you say should reflect his character. It should honor him. And yeah, you should look for opportunities and pray for opportunities to, to actually share the good news. Now we've got a woman in our church who I think is, is, is uh, exceptionally gifted at this. She has multiple conversations a day oftentimes with non-believers about God, about, Christ, about her Christian faith. And so I asked her for some tips because I think some of us would like to be having these conversations, but often just don't even know how to start. And so I asked her for some tips. Here are her top seven, and then I added a, a bonus one of my own. Uh, she says the big thing is to ask Jesus to give you his heart for others. Ask, ask Jesus to, con to conform you to his image, that you will see people the way he sees them, that you will love people the way that he loves them. First and foremost, that's the thing. She says, also be consistent. Have integrity with your life. You know, if, if, you're, if you're going and, and telling your friends, oh, I, I believe in Jesus, you know, I, I love him, I'm, church is a big deal, and then you turn around and you just trash somebody and treat them terribly, that's, that's not gonna work. You've gotta be, you gotta have integrity and consistency in your actions, in your words to friends and neighbors and acquaintances. Um, make eye contact, smile, be, be friendly with people. Uh, this doesn't always work. I was, I was shoveling snow outside on the sidewalk this week and uh, someone's passing by and I go, oh, hey, big smile. They take their scarf, cover their face, turn their face away from me and walk past. We live in paranoid and antisocial times, my friends. But be friendly, be, be warm, show genuine interest in people, ask them questions about where they're from and what they do for work and those kinds of things. And then she suggested um, a, kind of, a kind of a question that can open the door. She said, ask people how they're doing with everything going on in the world at the moment. Just ask how they're doing because it may open up an opportunity for you to talk about where you are finding your hope and where you're finding strength, that you are gaining perspective from reading the Bible, that, that being in a church and being surrounded by others encourages you on a weekly basis. So ask how they're doing because it may give you an opportunity to share how you're coping with the world as it is at the moment. And if they're open to that, then, then invite them to come to church and invite them to come along with you. And if they're not, they're hostile to that, if they're like, oh, this is terrible, focus on your testimony. Focus on what Jesus has done in your life. And my, uh, my little bonus tip is uh, number eight, is, is to trust the Holy Spirit in this. That this is the work of the Holy Spirit to, to change people, transform them. It's not your job to save others. Don't put that pressure on yourself because you end up putting that pressure on others as well. I've, I've been there. I've, I've been that guy. It doesn't, it doesn't turn out well. So trust that this is a Holy Spirit thing. But with all of that in mind, be weird this year. In a culture that says that faith, that religion, this is an inappropriate conversation topic. These, these things are just for you, nobody else. Be willing to share what you believe and what Jesus has done. Don't hide it. Make it known. Do it with grace. Do it with wisdom. Do it winsomely and compellingly. But, but do it. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Yeah? Now the third thing is uh, the most difficult and the most controversial. That's why I've saved it for last. And I enter into it with fear and with trembling. And it has to do with how we think about, speak about, and treat others, 
particularly those with a different vaccination status than our own. Because there is very much a form and a mold here in which people are expected to fit into. And I wanna be very, very clear. I'm not talking about whether you should or should not get vaccinated. That's not on the table here. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how we treat and view those who have a different status than our own. And, and the mold here in our culture is particularly with how the vast majority, the vaccinated, are to see and treat those, the, the small minority who aren't the unvaccinated. And it's, it's a pattern that is set when our leaders encourage division in families, in friendships, even in churches along vaccinated, unvaccinated lines. It's a pattern that is promoted when public policy bans unvaccinated people, not infected people, not symptomatic people, but people who have not received a certain medical treatment bans them from indoor public spaces. It's a pattern that we see when, when unvaccinated people are fired from their jobs, but vaccinated people in some places, in some cases in BC is considering this too, can continue to work even in healthcare if they're infected as long as they're vaccinated. It's a pattern that's perpetuated when leaders like Justin Trudeau says in an interview just this past week that most unvaccinated people are racist and misogynistic and questions if Canada should still be tolerating these people. Can we just agree that that's a bizarre thing to say? To say that because you didn't get an injection that you're probably also prejudiced against women and against people of other races? It's a pattern we see when prominent journalists like David Frum of The Atlantic suggests that hospitals should quietly neglect unvaccinated people and serve them last. When doctors and politicians suggest that unvaccinated people should, should provide for their health care out of their own pocket, that we're not willing to take care of them. It's a, a pattern that we see when, when people go on Twitter and openly hope that unvaccinated people will die that they will die of, of COVID. And when we blame as a culture, all our problems on this class of people are designated scapegoats, the unvaccinated. And it's a pattern that some Christians have been conformed to as well. When a, when a vaccinated Christian looks at a fellow believer who is unvaccinated and assumes that therefore that person must be maybe not really a believer, Maybe just as very spiritually immature, at very best, is just really unintelligent. And can I just say, most of the unvaccinated people I know have thought through this very, very deeply. And they, they have their, their hesitancies. They have their convictions for various reasons. It's not because they're unintelligent or because they're immature. In many cases, they are some of the most servant-hearted people that I know, most eager to, to follow Jesus, to know Jesus. You've got pastors. I, I've seen pastors on social media that barely ever say a word about Jesus or the gospel, but every day are, are posting things about, about vaccines. You've got churches that are saying to unvaccinated people, you're not welcome here. You're not allowed to come and worship here. And, um, and these are churches that in many cases wouldn't practice actual biblical church discipline, wouldn't actually do anything if someone was contradicting what God has very clearly said in scriptures, but are willing to exclude people on the basis of something that is not 
core to our faith is not clearly revealed in the scriptures. You know, this, this is the pressure. This is the mold. And I want to say again so clearly, I am not, and I just, I know as soon as I talk about these things, people get their defenses up. And, and right away as we go to our, to our talking points and we, we go to the things that, you know, like what we believe, right? We've got, we've got our defenses. We get the walls up. I'm not talking about getting vaccinated or not. I'm not bringing science into this. I am simply trying to make the point that our culture is playing a dangerous and divisive game right now. And that we as followers of Jesus are not to be conformed to this, but we are to be transformed. We are to love people regardless of vaccination status. Paul says in Colossians, over all of these virtues, put on love. We are to be united, not on the basis of what we think about a particular medical treatment, but instead by our common sharing of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians, make every effort to keep the unity, the bond of the Spirit. We are to encourage one another and spur one another on towards good deeds. Again, the point here is encouraging one another to follow Jesus, regardless of what convictions we have about what's going on in the world, that we are encouraging one another to follow Jesus. So I want to encourage you, be a little bit weird this year by not conforming to the way, the, the pattern in our culture of seeing and thinking and treating people. And then by the way, this is true from an, if, if you're unvaccinated and you harbor ill thoughts towards the vaccinated, this all goes towards you too. Don't be conformed to this. No matter who you are, no matter where you're coming from, do not, do not fall into this trap of scapegoating and villainizing a group of people because they've been vaccinated or not but be transformed in the renewing of your mind and pray that you would see people the way God sees them. Now, I've just talked about a few ways in which we're, we're called to be different and set apart. There are so many more. And I would encourage you, even as you start this new year, to, to think about what, what are the patterns of the world? Have I been conformed to them? What does it mean to be transformed? I would encourage you to do this. Because uh, there are so many more things. I even had a whole other section that I just cut out because it was just, it was getting too long. I spared you guys like five, 10 minutes on the sermon. That's like, that's like the bonus scenes. Maybe we'll post that later on. But, uh, but there's so much more. But I, I want to spend some time here at the end as we're wrapping up, going to the beginning of what Paul says. Again, Romans 12. Be, don't be conformed, be transformed. Why? Why should you be different? Why should you be set apart? Because Paul says, because of God's mercy. And this is how he describes God's mercy earlier in Romans. He says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of blood to be received by faith. Paul says in a few verses later, nobody has any grounds 
of boasting. You have no basis for claiming your own righteousness before God because whoever you are, wherever you've come from, you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Does this not even set us apart right here? Is there not a tendency in Western culture to, to boast about our own righteous, not, righteousness, not just to boast about it, but to post about it on social media? To boast about our righteousness, to make this the grounds for our salvation. And here Paul says, look, you got to let that go because none of you are righteous. None of us. All have sinned and fallen short, but God has made righteousness, this right standing with him. He has made this available, not because of anything you have done, but because of what Jesus has done, that he has given Jesus and Jesus has given his life as a sacrifice for our sins, that our sins are wiped out. And we receive this blessing. We receive this grace simply by faith, by trust in him. And this, I think maybe more than anything else, sets us apart because this is where our hope is found. This is where we have our peace. This is, this is our salvation, not what we have done, but what Jesus has done. And this becomes the basis for all the other ways in which Jesus calls us to be set apart, to be different. It all comes back to this, that we have been saved by grace, that we are set apart, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done. And so here at the beginning of 2022, I, I, want, I want our church to kind of come around, around Jesus and to be resolved, not actually to be weird, but be resolved first and foremost to make everything that we do and everything that we say and everything that we believe, make it all about him, to make it all about Jesus. And to that end, I, I want to uh, start off this new year with, with communion. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was, uh, he was eating a final meal with his disciples and he gave them this practice that would, uh, that would define them, that would, that would orient them again and again and again as to what he was about to do for them. And that's what we do here as well. We, we come uh, to, to communion, to the bread and the juice. Again, I don't think you can really call this bread what's in here, but whatever it is, we come around this and, and we are reminded again, this is what Jesus has done for us. This is who we are. The world goes in so many different directions, in so many different ways. The world leads us in this way and that way. We come back to this. We come back to that. We come back to the cross again and again and say, that's what we're about. That's the basis. That's the foundation. That's our hope. That's our peace. That's our salvation. Amen? And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And so what you're going to do here <laughs> is that you're going to take just the plastic cover off, not the purple. Okay, so you want to separate the purple. From, this is like the least, this just totally breaks the mood. You want, to, you want to separate the purple and the plastic and you want to just pull the plastic off and get the bread. Jesus took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus gave his body. 
He gave his life for you. He offered his life as a sacrifice for you so that you could have life, so that you could receive freedom and forgiveness and peace in him. He gave everything for you so that you could have everything in him. Let's take the bread and eat it in thanksgiving to Jesus. You can take the, the purple part and peel that back now. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus poured out his blood for you to wash away your sins, to, to make you clean, to give you a fresh start, a new covenant. And perhaps even this morning, you will make a new covenant with God. You will say to him, Jesus, I, I, I went astray. I walked in different ways this past year. I was conformed to the world. But this year, 2022, I am giving myself to you. I receive this fresh start, this new covenant, this new relationship in Jesus. I want to honor you for what you have done for me. And let's start right here by taking the cup in remembrance of Jesus. Jesus, we are so thankful for what you have done for us. Lord, you, you took us, you took us from the fire, you took us from the miry pit of our own making. You took us, Lord, from the patterns of this world, from this present evil age, and you have saved us. You've delivered us from that. You've set us apart, and not just us individually, but us as a church. Lord, believers, all together, you have set us apart. You have you have made it possible for us to be transformed, to be renewed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for giving your life at the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood for us. Lord, we want to consecrate this year to you. We want to pray, Lord, that this year that our lives individually and as a church would be all for you. Lord, that we would not be conformed to the world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We want, Lord, our lives to be oriented around you. We want to be conformed to your image. We want to know every blessing, every bit of life that you have to give to us this year. And we thank you again, Lord, that all of this is possible because you gave your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.